Within the first hour, one of the young men in the group, he got up out of his chair, grabbed hold of the felt marker and started to draw on the flip chart about ego states and communication. This young lad was really empowered and he was all of a sudden really articulate. He was clever, he was insightful. Yeah. He could own his intelligence and have it respected through this language. So, yeah. fantastic. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps listening to that. This is Three People in Your Head, a podcast about getting the best out of yourself and others. Co-hosted by Matt Taylor and myself, John Fleming. In this episode, we speak with Giles Barrow. Giles is an educator and a writer, and he's also a teaching and supervising transactional analyst in the educational field. Giles shares his experience and stories of using educational TA in all kinds of different environments, from schools to adult education. Giles, thank you so much for joining us uh, for our podcast, Three People in Your Head. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, kind of your roles currently and your responsibilities, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, well, um, my name's Giles, Giles Barrow, and I live in East Anglia in, in Suffolk, a very, a very rural area, born and bred in South London, and professionally started out as a teacher pretty much uh, around South London, both in mainstream and, and then in more specialist settings. And um, was, uh, I suppose, responsible for, for establishing support services for schools, particularly for, for around the theme of children's provision for excluded students. Right. And that's the specialist element, is it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And currently, what's, what's your roles that mm. you're in at the moment? Well, I, I spread my time across a number of areas of work. I'm a, a teaching and supervising transactional analyst which means part of my time is spent supporting colleagues who are, are looking to train as transactional analysts or supervising them, helping them prepare for yeah. their professional qualification and so on. But I'm also involved in teaching transactional analysis more generally. Um, and then my, I, I maintain my, my link with schools and yeah. uh, young people by working directly in schools, often with head teachers or people with more specialist roles around the theme of leadership or school culture or, right. or complex cases, I suppose you could say, in both you know, primary age and, and secondary. And don't you, aren't you involved in farming in some way or form? Yeah, so as a result of moving out of London, although it wasn't particularly, wasn't particularly planned, I um, developed a, a real interest and then commitment to running a, a small holding. So uh, for the last 10 years or so, we've been yeah, running, running a small holding, raising livestock, um, growing our own fruit and veg. And so um, engaged in a new, well, it doesn't feel so new now, but what was definitely a, a, a real new opening phase of life, really. Yeah. So yeah. it's wide and varied, your work. I, Yes, I, I suppose looking in from the outside, it, it looks wide and varied, but from the inside, it feels very integrated and whole. Um, so the, the kind of underlying theme is, is cultivation, really, right. one way or the other. Yeah. Brilliant. Giles, I'm really interested to know, if you were a teacher, what was it that, that got you interested in, in psychology or, or more importantly transactional analysis what, what was it about being a teacher that drew you to to study it or become interested in it well it's a, a bit of a story to this and it'll refer to to trudy uh, trudy newton who i know you're also talking with so to get into a little bit of the detail my so i was in mainstream teaching and i was very drawn to those children who were really struggling to fit in many of whom were being chucked out of school because of you know, brand behaviour. And I moved into specialist provision. And at the time, and I'm talking about sort of the 90s, the dominant frame of reference for working with these children was something called behaviour management. The idea being that children learn how to behave and someone should be able to teach them how to behave. And so right. there was a lot of 
what was called behavioral approaches all about getting into very you know very specific target setting of kids rewarding kids for doing what you wanted them to do and so on and so forth and um when i took on running the services for for students out of school I'm, i'm not too sure exactly why but i knew there was something lacking in this behavioral approach I, I had a I had an appetite for something richer than that, and I um I sent my staff, my individual members of staff, all over the country. I said, "Go and find me something different." Wow. I didn't know what I was looking for, but I knew that there needed to be something. And so, members of my team came back with all sorts of weird and wonderful things, <laughs> and we did have quite a uh, it, it was quite a, a peculiar, in some respect, <laughs> jumble sale of a, a six month period in which we were trying all sorts of things. Was what, young, was, what was the weirdest? Um, oh, oh, what was it? I can't remember what it was called now. It was some sort of approach. I just remember in the middle of the training <laughs> with this guy, he blew up a paper bag and burst it. And I can't remember <laughs> quite <what> <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We just got ourselves into some really <laughs> strange nooks and crannies of, of approaches to working with, with this group of students. Um, yeah. But it was, um, I forget what it was called now, that. But anyway, back on track. The, um, there was a, a, woman, a young woman in my, in, in, in my team said she knew of someone who did this thing called transactional analysis uh, in her village, incidentally, out in Suffolk. So I, I said, bring me this woman and um, let's see what <laughs> she can do. <laughs> so I was very kind of, very, <laughs> yeah, it's Andrea. Anyway, so, um, and, and what I did is I set a bit of a task. I said, tell her to come here. And I'm going to ask if she can train not just our staff, but our staff with our young people at the same time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit of an ask, really. Tall order, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, um, and so the trainer was Trudy, and she arrived. I understand that she was quite nervous about the prospect. Yeah. And, and also was quite... Um, she was getting quite um, frustrated or really had a strong appetite and ambition to be able to bring transactional analysis to the world of schools because for her, she had been very much involved in adult education through social work training. So this was a bit of a break for her. This was you know, an opportunity that I know only now I know that she was keen to, to engage in. I didn't know that at the time. And I'd set up quite a testy environment so she came into this unit where i had maybe a dozen of our staff and then there was like a, i don't know a dozen of our young people you know maybe 15 16 year olds very bruised and battered from mainstream school yeah and um she began teaching us or uh, you know starting to open up transactional analysis for us and after about must have been within the first hour um, one of these, one of the young men in the group, I, I remember, I see him now, he, he got up out of his chair, grabbed hold of the, the, uh, the, the felt marker and started to draw on the flip chart. Um, of, of, um, this was about ego states and communication. So he'd been exposed to it for, I don't know, 40 minutes. And he, there he was up on, the, up on the board explaining what was happening to him in mainstream school when he was getting into trouble with some of the, the senior staff. Brilliant. And that really made quite an impact on me. Pretty much, well, when I say sold it to me, that sounds a bit kind of commercial, but it, the impact was such that in that, in that episode, I, I realized that here was a model which was highly accessible to a wide range of people and was equally very powerful. Yeah. I mean, this, this young lad was really empowered and he was all of a sudden really articulate. He was clever. He was insightful. Yeah. He could own his intelligence and have it respected through this language. So we, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm telling a story there in response, Matt, to your question. I, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. fantastic. I'm I'm getting goosebumps listening to that. That that that's really touching. You know yeah. that that he, he he had begun to understand what was going on for him. That's 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 so empowering. And I can see now why transactional analysis has has value in education. So you're coming from the point of view, Giles, that 
their students who, who, who need this support for, for many different reasons um, and, and come yeah. from different walks of life. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in your experience, Charles, how old, you know, how old does a kid have to be, a child have to be, in order to kind of grasp the basics of it? Well, yeah, it's a question I often get asked. Um, I mean, I've personally worked uh, with children as young as, uh, you know, eight years old with yeah. the idea of strokes, for example. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Judy Hayes' window on the world that uh, children in primary – uh, you know, upper primary certainly yeah. um, are able to grasp that. In some parts of the UK, we've got a middle school system, and I and so there we're looking at sort of twelve-year-olds yeah. um, who are more than able to to understand ego states and the drama triangle. Yeah. Um, where we've got very young children, I've tended to introduce transactional analysis as a to staff to create a more emotionally literate or more relationally rich space yeah. rather than to teach it explicitly to, to little yeah. ones. And what are the benefits that you see in, in the class with kids, with children that are able to pick those principles up? Well, I think, I think uh, <laughs> in a sense, it's not much different than what I noticed with adults in that um, it provides a language for understanding what's going on internally and what's going on externally. Yeah. And I think children get it. Um, yeah. I, I remember I was in a secondary school in East London and this school was setting up an internal sort of support centre and they, they were wanting to use transactional analysis as, a, as the, the framework for, for use with, with children. And it was just in the very, yeah, you know, I think it was the first meeting or the first visit and i was meant to be having a discussion with a couple of staff in their room yeah and we were i think i was we were just um sort of revising the the ego state model yeah and i had it on a sheet on the floor and all of a sudden this lad bursts in he's kind of you know red with rage he's really kind of you know very kind of vigilant and has, has just been chucked out of science yeah and um He's, he's raging around the room and, and the two mentors, the two members of staff are, are doing some good, good work with him. And um, he sees this sheet on the floor. It's like a bed sheet, so it's quite a large sheet. And um, I, 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 start, I asked if he was interested in it, and he was. And it was very straightforward for him yeah. to start to track what had just gone on in the science lesson. Yeah. With, um, with what was on the floor. It, so it was, um, I think it's quite powerful yeah. to provide people with a language yeah. that opens up possibilities, really. Fantastic. And I think that's the same for grown-ups and children. Yeah, definitely. And, and so within the framework of transactional analysis, what is your favourite piece of theory um, and why? I think... I, I think the cycle of development, yeah. I think the the, the cycle of development is such for me such an, an enduring uh, model. I would say in in helping me frame and negotiate work in education, contracting principles are just so fundamental. But the cycle of development is a multi level model which helps me. Oh, in all sorts of directions, whether or not it's supervising a complex case yeah. or thinking about a member of staff's position within the staff team or their career or... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very, very versatile, really. And can you just explain a little bit about what you mean by development, what that means yeah. within the framework of, of transactional yeah. analysis? So... Um, so for me, there's a, a, an understanding, a recognition that in the course of one's life or one's career, we go through different stages yeah. um, that are incremental. They're about how we grow a little bit more. Yeah. And those phases have, distinct, have a distinct character. They, they have a distinct experience. Yeah. And that... The cycle of development is just one way of uh, making sense of that developmental process. Right. 
Okay. And I know from having actually done a workshop with you when I did my foundation year um, oh. in, in TA that um, the cycle of development is different because it's a cycle that normally yeah. these, these development models are linear. And so can yeah. you explain a little bit more about yeah. that theory? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of ideas, certainly in the West, are rooted in um, some of the early history of psychology, yeah. which which tended to be founded in a particular way of viewing the world, which was quite European yeah. and some would argue quite male in orientation. Um, a lot of the early developmental theorists were men um, yeah. and, and they came from a very particular part of the, you know, part of the globe. So right. they tended to make sense of development as if people grow up along a, a line, that right. they grow up, if you like, only chrono chronologically. Yeah. And so once you found out how old somebody is, you can then start to assess whether or not developmentally they are, um, they are functional. Right. Um, and, and the key is finding out, you know, how, how old they are. And, right. And I find those linear models, they, they kind of make sense in my head. Yeah. But they don't correspond with lived experience. Okay. And for that, you know, I choose to use something which is, is more of a, an indigenous idea of how we live or you might argue a more natural way of how we live, which is that we, we go through cycles yeah. and that these, these, if you like, repeat over the course of a lifetime. Right. So um, growing up isn't something that's completed by the time we're 16 or 6 or some sort of arbitrary chronological um, marker. And can you give an example of where we might be going around a cycle again and repeat in this development? Well, yeah, I, th I think, you know, someone going into a new post, a new job uh, right. might be such. When a new baby comes along in the family, yeah. when our, maybe for those people, listeners who have got um, children, when the children go from primary to secondary school, but also okay. maybe some, some more maybe some even more significant times like when there's been a key bereavement, yeah. um, maybe a separation um, or retirement. That's what I notice and I you know, hear this in, the, in how their stories are told is a sense of going back to some kind of beginning stage again where we don't know whether or not we can even exist in this new space. Yeah. So those are some examples I find. And would you have any advice that you would give to parents or adults who might be responsible or looking after a child in specialist provision in any way? What kind of... Um, in specialist provision? Yeah. Mm. So one of the things I, I notice with uh, students, which is fairly typical if they're involved in special education in some way, is that they experience more transitions than okay. children that don't. Right. Uh, and they, you know, particularly those children with, with social, emotional, mental health issues, they may find themselves in and out of different provisions. And some of them may well be in and out of different care provision as well. Right. So there's less stability. Mm. And, and, and I find that the cycle of development stages um, are very useful for thinking about in yeah. terms of preparing um, for children for transition um, for supporting them in transition and then into some re you know, reintegrating into some new place. So yeah. in terms of uh, advice, um, <laughs> that's a bit of a, a, a big question. <laughs> well, how about I rephrase it, Giles? Um, what about if, if I was to say, um, is, is there a particular way in which you would prepare? Like what steps would you take if you were preparing for a particular transition? Um, is there certain things, certain conversations that need to be had or things that need to be said or how do you use the cycle of development? Right, okay. So these young people. So my experience in, in transition is that saying goodbye to the current place is a really important part of beginning to say hello to the next one. Mm. And I notice for a lot of children involved in special provision, they haven't had a very good goodbye. And so the unfinished business of that school placement gets in the way 
of them being able to start anew in yeah. the second placement. So strangely, I would say an awful lot of good preparation for making a move is, um, strangely enough, saying goodbye, which involves um, taking stock, celebrating what's been achieved, yeah. beginning to attach to a new place, possibly, knowing that moving on is normal, yeah. and that uh, people are going, people can feel sad even though you're not going to be there. Right. Um, and uh, it's okay for the, the child to, to feel some sad or loss. Right. So, so yes, I would concentrate on, on what sometimes referred to as the moving on stage before beginning to, to start to look at connecting with the new place. And that sounds kind of pretty obvious stuff, but I find it rare yeah. for that to have been successfully achieved. That's fantastic advice. When we moved house, when my son was just a few years old and my mom, who'd actually done a little bit of training in transactional analysis, she, she said, you need to allow him, and I think he was a toddler, maybe three, you need to allow him to understand the story of saying goodbye to where he's been uh, before lovely. we move on. And lovely. yeah, and it, it really rings true. And the move for him was so much better and less uh, upsetting because of yeah. that. Yeah, I'm just thinking as well, I was talking to my sister um, <clears throat> recently and, and she was telling me that my niece and nephew now go um, and spend their last day of school each year before the summer holidays in the classroom and with the teacher that they're going to have next year. Mm. And I was really impacted by that because that's definitely not something that we ever did when we were in school. <laughs> uh, we we, le we yeah. left and then we went back into a new room and, and we'd never met the person before and it was all yes. quite daunting. And I, I can really hear now in what you're saying, Giles, that how we might have overlooked it, it's actually really important, you know, yeah. um, in, in, in creating a space in which these people can feel like they can learn. Yeah. And I'm wondering what is, it sits below all of this, Giles, is, am I picking mm. you up right, is that... You have to create an environment in which learning can uh, be done easily, and 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 that sometimes that gets overlooked in mainstream schooling. Is that yeah? Really no, that's slightly what you're touching off. Well, well, I know you maybe uh, you, you said making learning uh, easily or something there, John. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. This might take us off into a different direction. It's um, I want to play around with whether or not it's that helpful when learning is is easy. Okay. Let's take it in that direction then. Yeah, it doesn't stay with cycle of development necessarily. Um, but I think it does lead into something uh, about educational transactional analysis. I, I actually think that part of my objective as an educator is to be quite disruptive. And with that disruptiveness, there comes some dis-ease. Okay. And why yeah, is that? So why, why, do why, I, why disruptive? What's, what is it about disruption that works? Because you know, there is a view that the, the, the teacher, the role of the teacher is to yeah. interrupt the life of the student and to bring to the student or open for the student the opportunity of some, some new experience of the world. Yeah. And, and that it isn't actually intended to be a comfortable experience because the world if you like is different from how i would like it to be right so that's okay. quite an, that's quite an infantile and it quite an infantile sense of the world which is that it, it should fit with how i want it to be right and so the purpose of the teacher is to represent if you like um how the world doesn't always fit with what i want it to be or how i understood it yeah. Um, and I think that that can be quite uneasy. Um, that's why I'm just picking up on John's reference earlier to the job of the, the educators to make it learning easy. I may mm. be just picking on that word. And Yeah, no, I think it's a really good point, though. Uh, and I guess that's just something that's, that's kind of bred into, well, I can't speak for everybody, but definitely I know that uh, about wanting to make things easy for people. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't necessarily it's easy. I suppose what I was getting at, and I might have used the wrong word, was that there's something about accounting for the environment within classrooms or where education's taking place. Right. That that seems important. And it seems like what you're uh, talking to is that, is that TA has something to offer. Yeah. In, 
in helping set the right environment so that uh, these transitions or, or the, the cycles that people are going on on the development phases okay. are getting tended oh. to in the way that they should be. Um, yeah. And, and may, maybe I was going a, a stretched extra in that. And then I was forming the assumption that if that is done, then the job of teaching and learning, uh, whether it be English, math, science, um, is somewhat more successful. Maybe successful okay. is a better word than easy. Okay, um, so so I think, John, uh, where I think there may well be um, across purposes here is that I think schooling is different from education. Okay. Yeah, That's so interesting I, insight. So... Um, I think schooling has got a lot to do with upbringing. Okay. It's, it's a public project, if you like, in which we culturally hope that schooling contributes to the upbringing of our next generation. Right. So, so I, it's about raising the children. I think there's an awful lot to do with raising children that you know, is part of the role of a, being a school teacher. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and what I'm hearing is that, and, and I accept that part of upbringing, um, you know, involves being um, kind of safe and affirmed, of being supported in our maturation as we go through these stages, that there's a, a kind of a process of upbringing. And schools are, you know, play a really significant part on behalf of our communities to do that. Um, and uh, and I don't want to equate that with all that education can be. Hmm. That's really interesting because I know there is, I have heard teachers say things like, but it, it's not our job to raise uh, yeah, the yeah. kids. It's our job to get them to do well in their exams or to pass yes. their exams, which is very yeah. different from what you're describing. Um, yeah. And um, what, okay, um, you could argue that the teacher believes that part of upbringing is to socialise the child and prepare them for the kind of qualifications that they're going to need in order to, you know, as a passport, if you like, within the broader society. So you could yeah. argue, you could argue that that remains a legitimate position yeah. and, and is part of, of, the, of the upbringing. I just don't want, I, I'm quite resistant about the idea that education equates to what goes on in schools. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that is a different and challenging point of view. I mean, I, I, it's one that I tend to agree with. Um, and, and I'm wondering, if just for the people listening, Giles, what, what is it about that? Because I can hear in how you're saying it, you're quite passionate about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where does that come from? Where, 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 there's obviously somewhere that, that that comes from within you or an experience or a, a time in your work where you began to notice this. Where, where, where does that come from? Mm. Yeah, that's a, okay, yeah, that, a that's good a, question. Yeah, it's a different level of question. Okay, so um, where that takes me is is that I think that something which can happen in schools, but it's if like outside of the control of school, is that students, and I think of this myself, but you know, I know it, it pertains to a lot of us, have had what I call an encounter with a teacher. Yeah. Um, in, in which something happens. In other words, there's a disruption in who I think I can be in the world. And that has got a lot to do with what I call the personhood of the teacher. Yeah. It's, it's like someone turns up in my life and there's something irreplaceable about that. And this is kind of outside of all of that talk earlier about upbringing. Yeah. Um, it's quite it's quite unpredictable in some respect. It's far more volatile. It's um, unplanned. And I think that's where education takes place. It's a very particular idea about education. Yeah. Um, and that teacher may well be my, my, I know my science teacher. That's not really the point. It's, it's the fact that it's them that have shown up. Um, yeah. As a person, as opposed to a, just a role. Yes. 
So I, I think an awful lot of emphasis in contemporary schooling has been to make systems and processes really watertight yeah. so that so that anybody can do them. So the, the kind of who's doing it isn't as important as the fact that someone's doing it. Yeah. Anyone's. And then bringing that back into the framework of TA, why is TA important in this? What part does that, what part does transactional analysis play in, in what you're describing? Um, yeah, I think, well, I think one of the things is that in relation to scripts, you know, this idea of um, that we have a story that we tell us, we create and tell ourselves and then live out. Yeah. yeah. I think many people have a script around education and of themselves as a learner. Yeah based on their school experience so they can have a sense that they're stupid right uh, a belief that they're stupid or they make a decision that they're clumsy yeah on the basis of their experience within school yeah and that can um i think really limit their view of who they might be and i think that challenging individuals scripts around education is is sometimes very important because how many people I know who have been um, really immobilized by the idea of a, a, an interview or some sort of test or yeah. going into further professional development or, or, or all sorts of performance where they have grave doubts and are, as I say, immobilized. And so often the story of that lack of confidence stems from a classroom. Yeah. And so often I come across this, these pivotal moments when people were infants in primary school where a person in authority said something to them and that's taken as verbatim and life-changing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think, I think sometimes it's overlooked that, you know, if, if in classical TA theory, script begins to form about three years old through to about six years old, if yeah. we want to use that kind of classical model, well, Certainly in this country, most kids are in some kind of institution yeah. by that time. Uh, in other words, schools are not the arena where the script is played out. It's the arena where it's being created. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. This might be a bit of a jump, but again, I'm just wondering. Uh, you, you talked about it having an encounter well, well ago um, about having an encounter with a teacher someone yeah. um, that and I, I guess that could be both positive or negative you know you're talking yeah. right now about how they could be having a, a negative impact but yeah. I'm assuming that what you're using TA to inform your work and do is helping educators have positive encounters mm -hmm. um, with, with kids uh, that that maybe sit outside what I was talking about a while ago about teaching and learning that the science doesn't become so important um, when actually the educator is taking on the role of helping these children. I don't want mm. to go as far as using the word heal because maybe that's too far, but see their potential or, mm. or know, know, know their own power um, yeah. in being successful or whatever it might be. Is, is that kind of what, what your view is, Giles? Um, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so TA is, for me, is it's not necessarily even ensuring that it's a positive encounter but that encounter is possible. Okay. okay. Um, and what do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, I guess hmm. that might be the next question. I yeah. think that for educators, there is such a, uh, uh, an emphasis or pressure for them to make education full of certainty. So yeah. it has to be planned. We have to have lesson objectives. We have to have learner objectives. We have to have educational objectives all of which are pointed towards particular outcomes, and those outcomes are concrete. Yeah. Um, and uh, education now becomes a very strong concept, something that can, we can rely on to deliver. Yeah. And I think that transactional analysis, with its emphasis on the here and now, and the, the whole business of, of autonomy, that this really requires us to be willing to engage in an uncertainty. Yeah. Um, being open to what might emerge. And that I think is quite countercultural yeah. for teachers. I, I, I did some work with a group 
And it really taught me the value of this. And I know that I taught this stuff really well yeah. and because uh, I really enjoy teaching it. And I've been teaching it many times. And um, a couple of weeks later, when I met the group again, um, I, I asked them if they had any question about this particular bit of theory or what have you. And most of them couldn't remember it. And, uh, yeah, and, um, yeah, some of them couldn't, not only, they, they didn't believe I actually had taught it to them. <laughs> and um, and I, I, I did, you know, joke with them about the fact that it, it had been a stunning bit of teaching. And uh, <laughs> well, this was, this was uh, you yeah, know, extremely, I was very crestfallen and bewildered. <laughs> 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 it reminded me <clears throat> that as a teacher, we can only have a teaching objective. Right. The idea of having a learner objective is ludicrous. Ah. The idea that I can command the learner, yeah. the meaning that the learner is going to make. And what's going on inside them. Absolutely ridiculous. Really uh, interesting. And, yeah, it just, uh, it just reminded me that, you know, despite all efforts, what we can control as educators is, is probably very little, really. But what we can do is, is marshal or be in touch with who it is that's showing up. Yeah. So I, the phrase I use is, is if teaching involves interrupting the lives of others, you better be damn sure about who it is that's showing up. Right. And I suppose that's what I'm, uh, you know, my response to John's piece about a positive encounter. Yeah. Uh, I'd say, you know, I, I don't know that I can even control that it's going to be a positive encounter, but I do yeah. need to do my best. Uh, I need to have as much regard for how I'm showing up in it. Yeah. Uh, how do wow. I hold myself in this um, in a way that, on the one hand, honours the other person to make their own meaning of this, um, but also bring the very um, best of oneself, really. Yeah. And that's where TA, I think, is very useful. Brilliant. And, uh, Brilliant. That broadens it out as well, doesn't it, then, to so much more than schooling, you know, uh, and, and, and maybe people having an educator identity when they don't necessarily realize they do because that might not be their job title yeah. um, I'm just thinking about parents and I'm thinking about managers and I'm thinking about anybody that has quite a large influence on people um, that 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 maybe we're learning all the time and, and maybe we're also educating all the time yes John I, I think one of the for me a key distinguishing feature between the work of educators in TA and perhaps those in clinical work from those in clinical work is that the educator's work is done in public. Hmm. Um, and I, I think some of those other folks that you mentioned there are, are in the public sphere. This, yeah. this work or practice that is observed yeah. uh, is witnessed. And, and there is something I was going to say common about it in the sense, in the literal sense that there is a, a commonality uh, or a common space in which this practice is developed. It's in community. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather than, if you like, in private or in yeah. some, yeah, some kind of hidden place. So it's almost like a role uh, that maybe you're not even paid for, you know, that it's not necessarily your job, but it, that, that, that we have a role in society. Possibly, yeah, quite possibly, yeah. Certainly I can think of people that I've learned a great deal from who, who were not formally teachers, but they knew mm. how to hold themselves, yeah. And so just broadening it out further, so we're talking about the role of transactional analysis. For our listeners, what do you think the common myths are around transactional analysis? So what would you, what would you be debunking in terms of uh, ideas and myths around the subject? Ooh. Gosh, that's a um, oh, that's that's a really interesting question. Let me pause for a moment. And think on it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm thinking that out. some some people yeah. out there are, are going to probably have um, well, 
may have heard of books like Games People Play. Yeah. Uh, what do you say after you say hello? The, these books are really popular. I'm okay, in, you're in the okay. 60s. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know that some people definitely have this, this image of TA being pop psychology mm-hmm. um, or, or, you know, not very credible. Um, other people, on the other hand, then think it's extremely credible and, and, and mm. has an awful lot to offer, uh, in, both professionally and personally. Um, what do you have to say about that? Um, yeah, I, yeah th- this is the tension because I was going to say um, it's not simple, and yet it's really accessible, yeah. which suggests simplicity. Yeah. Um, it's like any, yeah, anyone can get their head around this, but mm. that doesn't. That doesn't equate to it, it being um, superficial. Yeah. Mm. So there's, um, I think there's a tension that's misunderstood, that's not recognised. So it's easily misunderstood. Yeah, that's a great um, answer. So yeah, uh huh, uh huh. So that's one of them. I think the closer you get to it, the other thing that I do feel quite strongly about is that it is not, it's not only a clinical model, and I. Th- think that's the biggest myth within the community and what do you mean by for the listeners what do you mean by clinical so i think there's a common understanding that transactional analysis is only really used by psychotherapists and counselors yeah okay uh, and and only used in relation to people that have some kind of dysfunction some problem that needs solving yeah there's some health crisis um or, or some counseling issue yeah, I find that the one that bugs me most. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, because we've we, we've essentially just spent the majority of of our time talking so far talking about education, mm. uh, and um, so so that suggests to me that there, it has quite a wealth to offer in in mm. in areas outside of of mental health or or, or like clinical work, like you suggested, yeah. Um, yeah. and in a way maybe is that another problem sometimes with it not maybe being recognized or well known is that is it un- is it unusual uh, to have a modality to have so much to say about so many fields because <laughs> i'm trying to think of, of of something that might be similar to ta and i'm not like you know you think about cognitive behavioral therapy it's very focused in on mental health yeah. and clinical work it doesn't typically have an awful lot to say about education or organization so is ta unique in that sense and does that cause its problems um, for it in its own right i think yes is a short answer although i do know that the person's you know there's a strong a strong educational focus through the work of carl rogers and the person-centered yeah uh, movement <clears throat> and, okay. and certainly you know there are some Jungians who talk about the educational relevance of of of, of his work um but I think TA might be unusual in being determined to qualify and accredit non-clinical application. Um, okay. Yeah, I, just as you were talking there, I was wondering um, what I, I have a little fancy, which is that <laughs> most, most TA that people come across and most TA that's being shared yeah. is, not in, is actually not through the clinical fields. Right. I think so many people come across the trauma triangle in, you know, some kind of training that they do. In the workplace, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I just wondered whether or not that might be the case. I don't know. I'm, I'm speculating there. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you. I've, I've heard a lot of people, and even if it's not referenced to TA, they oh, still have it. the words yeah. drama triangle, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Mm. And, and so why, like for you, why do you think, because you've touched on this, but why do you think TA isn't so well known amongst the general public who this podcast is, is targeted towards? Um, well, the fact it's called transactional analysis doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a, a really unfortunate kind of early error. Really. Right. Because, of course, it, it, it's a brilliant explanation for what, what it's about. Yeah, um, but you really need to be in on the inside before that that makes sense. Yeah, okay. So I think that's. Sorry, have you yeah. got any fantasies about what you would call it? <laughs> oh, I, that before, I thought really. about asking that question, but it's a it's a nasty one. That it's a very <laughs> yeah. 
difficult um, one to answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I was asked it for some time ago, and I still haven't come up with something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tough one. I can't think of anything either. Yeah, um, um, very good. That's so was a, a bit of a blight, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, I also. Yeah. I, I do think, though, that the psychodynamic orientation of TA also keeps it at the side, if you like. Mm. You've talked um, across, a, across a, a breadth of stuff, Jonathan, and there's some really rich nuggets in there. I'm, I'm wondering, uh-huh. people who are listening to this and, and kind of going, oh, that's really interesting, I want to know more. Mm. Where, where would you signpost them to? What... Um, type of introductory books particularly for educational TA I suppose because that's kind of what we focus on so if, if if somebody knew nothing about TA where 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 would you kind of suggest that they go is there websites books etc that you would recommend yeah I'd say that if people have heard that um, discussion earlier about the cycle of development um, and particularly parents or people you know interested in raising kids then growing up again by Jean Elsley Clark is the go-to great it's such a a rich resource, I think. I'd really, yeah, I'd really recommend that. Yeah, it's such a clever book, and it, right. it talks as much to the parents' process as it does about the children's. And it's, um, it's you get a, a lot of bang for your buck with that book. Excellent. <laughs> um, there's a, a lot in it. Yeah, so I'd, I'd recommend. That's one it. I've not read yet, so I'll be doing that yeah. myself. And whereabouts yeah, can great. if they want to get in touch with you, Giles? If they want to yeah. find out more about you, where can they yeah. go? Yeah, yeah, um, probably best through the my own website, yeah, um, which is uh, GilesBarrow.com. I, I'm probably going to um, push it here now, but I'm um, trying to to think of of the other people who are probably listening in, and and I think growing up again is a great suggestion for parents. Yeah. What, yeah. what about what about budding teachers out there, or teachers who are generally just really interested in this sort of stuff? Is, is there a more specific text that you'd advise them to go look at? Yeah, so for those involved in adult education, for example, then Tactics by Rosemary Knapper and Trudy Newton is uh, a, a title that has just really done its time. Yeah, it's, it's been, not done its time, sorry, it's been around a long time. It's, yeah. it's really stood the test of time, that's the phrase. Great. And, that's, and again, clever book, and it's more a, 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 how, a, a how-to. It's a really practical um, volume of translating TA concepts into working directly with, with groups around teaching and learning. And, yeah, very, very practical. Loads of exercises, but also some really good material as well. As I said, tactics, and it's in its second Great. print. Brilliant. Great. Awesome. Thanks and before we close, if, is there anything else that you'd like to share, just anything else on your mind in regards to the subject of transaction analysis you'd want the listeners to know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say one of the blind spots in TA, which I'd like to think is is at the beginning of changing, is that it's tended to see the relationship purely as a sociological one. In other words, TA helps us understand what goes on between people. But I think in this day and age, we've become increasingly aware that there's a third dynamic, if you like, which is is me, you and the environment yeah. and i think that's the new territory in ta um, and i wonder whether or not if we were as a as a professional community to get our act together on that we might find we might open up new avenues for a new generation of people to get involved right um, okay. if we yeah, if we started to speak to what I particularly hear that younger generation being concerned about. Yeah. And at the moment, there, are, there aren't many specific psychological movements that have fully understood and embraced it because I think that clinical tradition, A, sees, it about hu- sees the, the challenge about, uh, about human pathology. Yeah. Um, and B, is a relatively private affair. Whereas I think the climate makes it an ecological dynamic and yeah. it's everybody's affair. It's something that's more than public. It's, it's kind of planetary, really. 
such an important uh, note to finish on. Um, yeah. So, you know, so relevant to what's going on at the moment. Yeah, poignant. Yeah. Uh, all I can uh, imagine now, as you've said that really, is, is Greta, because I found myself lately saying, what would Greta do? <laughs> really? And I have a dilemma. Yeah. 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 So it's like, what kind of TA does she need? Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your time and for oh, all your wisdom and those nuggets of information. There's so much value in what we've just discussed. I think so much information is going to be incredibly no, helpful and useful. Mm. Really. Thank you so much, Charles. It was great. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Good. yeah, I've really much enjoyed it. I'm more than happy to come back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm sure there'll be an invite in the future. Yeah, yeah, for that definitely. One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks, cool. Charles. As always, if you found anything in today's episode interesting, please feel free to reach out. You can connect with us on all major platforms Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email us at threepeopleinyourhead at gmail.com using the number three rather than the word. If you aren't already, please follow us on iTunes and Spotify and leave a review. Thanks for listening. Are you looking at my screen? Can you see my whole screen? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, (laughs) Better have nothing embarrassing on that screen. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you... Yeah, record each one of those. Okay, I'm just thinking. In your most, do I do I sound do I kind of charming, frog- sing songy? <laughs> do I sound kind of froggy? Cork accent. No, you sound alright. <clears throat> well, later we'll record yeah. it, and then you can decide later. I think I'm gonna do one more. Great. And this time you can go. This is three. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Uh, we can vary later. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to say it with a smile on your face now. Thank you, Sam.